Lord, ask that you would use your word. Help us to understand what you are saying to us and help guide us with it. We pray this in your name. Amen. Well, as I realized as I was working on the sermon this week that I have never preached on the verses that Dana just read where Jesus uses these two metaphors of the narrow gate and the narrow road or way to describe the Christian life. And as I worked on the sermon this week, I realized there's a reason I've never preached on them. I don't like them. They sound so, I mean, just narrow and uptight and judgmental and legalistic and just no fun at all. Maybe a little bit like this video clip. This is your reminder to read your Bible or you won't get a jewel on your crown in heaven. Oh yeah! How many jewels am I up to? You only have 72 jewels. Yeah, you're right. I could use a few more. Thanks, Sarai! Sarai, how many times have I sinned today? Seven. That can't be right. It's not even 8 a.m. Eight. Come on. Nine. <sighs> Ten. Sarai, play running mix. Wouldn't you rather I play worship mix? No, I'm going on a jog. Playing worship mix. <sighs> Thanks, I guess. Sarai, find us the nearest belly dancing club. <laughs> Calling your accountability partner. No, 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 that's not what I said! This is your reminder to go to church, otherwise you are disobeying God. Thanks, Sarai. You know, you're so much better than Siri, because you're spiritual. I know. Remember, God is always watching, but when he's not, I am. are doing a sermon series called I'll Pretend You Didn't Say That about verses we'd like to ignore in Scripture. And these are verses I'd like to ignore because they remind me of that video, just kind of uptight, a little bit legalistic, and you know, all of that. And just as an aside, by the way, uh, a couple of you have pointed out that this slide that we use here for the sermon points or the Scripture, that maybe especially when we put the Scripture up there, we don't want that big ignore button there. That's kind of not the message. Someone said this, week, you know, maybe for the sermon it makes sense, but not for the you know, the, the scripture. So we took the ignore off and we'll, we fixed it. Um, in the verses we just read, Jesus uses a word we don't like, narrow. We don't want to be narrow-minded or lead narrow lives. But I do not think that's what Jesus is about. This verse is actually about how Jesus helps us avoid some cliffs that we can fall off of. But more than that, how he helps us find a bigger life where we feel connected to God have meaningful relationships, a life that's not boring, where he gives us courage and joy, and where we get the privilege of being called into his service to partner with him to fight the devil's plans. Jesus calls that the abundant life. 
And there's a paradox in this verse that I just want to point out. Jesus says, enter through the narrow gate, for wide is the gate and broad is the road that leads to destruction, but small is the gate and narrow the road that leads to life. And here's the paradox. The narrow gate is Jesus and relationship with him as he gives us power to live the abundant life. It's narrow, but look where it leads. It leads to life, something that is wide and broad and big. Meanwhile, the broad way, the way of our culture, the way of just following our own desires, look where that leads. It leads to a very narrow place, destruction, dead relationships, dead self-esteem. See, the narrow way leads to a broad place. The broad way leads to a narrow place. It's like in the Chronicles of Narnia, Lion, Witch, and the Wardrobe, if you've read them or seen the movie, when the kids go through a very narrow place, right? A wardrobe, but emerge on the other side in this amazing world called, called Narnia, filled with challenge and adventure, talking animals, all kinds of crazy stuff. See, Jesus is not telling us to be boring, uptight legalists like in that Sarai video. And we know that because that's what the religious leaders of his day did, and Jesus blasted them for doing it. He's not asking us to be tedious, boring people. Someone showed me a story a while back about a preacher who showed up on Sunday with a Band-Aid on his chin, and he said, I'm sorry about the Band-Aid, but I cut my chin this morning when I was thinking about my sermon. And someone from the choir said, next time cut the sermon and think about your chin. <laughs> we are not, okay, that killed at 9 o'clock. I just <laughs> won't use it at 6 First time I ever went to church, I'd been a Christian about a week. And the first church I went to, it was in this little tiny church. In a, I met in a home. They, they pulled the window shades down so it was dark in the room. And we sat in this circle. And the pastor said, someone in this room has been sinning this week. Good guess. <laughs> and he goes, someone has listened to rock and roll music. Oh, not that. And nobody said anything, and I certainly wasn't going to say anything because I'd been rocking out to Led Zeppelin on the way over. <laughs> and I remember thinking, Jesus, I like you, but your fan club is just weird. <laughs> That's not what these verses mean. That's not how we're supposed to be. For its first 300 years, Christianity grew faster than any religion in history, 40% per decade for 300 years. It did not do that because its followers were uptight, boring legalists. Quite the opposite. They lived in a refreshingly different way. They reconciled races. They weren't afraid to die for their faith, which showed courage in a culture that valued courage. Whip them, and they'd praise God. Put them in jail. They'd sing hymns of joy. Kill one, and ten more would rise up to take their place. It was irrepressible, unstoppable, uncontainable life. And I know you guys. I know that you want that kind of life, and I know that you want it even if it, if it means going the hard way even if it's harder to get there. I know you guys want that. You're up to that challenge. Jesus believes you're up to that challenge. I believe we're up to that challenge. Last week I said we have to choose in life a good time or a good legacy. And our culture says good time. But that's the broad way that leads to destruction. Look at the results. High divorce rate. Stress out folks climbing the ladder. Hypersexualized culture where girls younger and younger feel pressure to look a certain way. The Broadway starts out, it looks so great, doesn't it, at first? But it leads to a prison, a very narrow place of uncontrolled habits, broken relationships, wrecked identity. Because here's the thing. Nobody ever achieved happiness by making being happy their number one goal. It just doesn't go that way. 
I've told you before that when I was a pastor in California, my staff would read the police reports from an affluent suburb called Atherton. Well, recently, one of my friends sent me some recent police reports. These are more recent, and, and I'm going to read from them. These are things, reasons people called the cops, and I quote, A pedestrian was reported not to be doing anything strange other than wearing black pants and a white shirt walking at an odd hour. Someone called the cops for that. No, this is no lie. Here's another. A man in a white truck reported to be whistling and possibly casing the area was contacted and determined to be seeking his dog. Okay, when you... Yeah, like, that's what happens. When you live for comfort, pleasure, success, your world shrinks down until pretty soon a, a person looking for their dog freaks you out. The broad way leads to a very narrow place. So Jesus says, follow me, and I will guide you on a narrow road between legalism on the one side and libertinism, doing what you want, on the other, to a big, broad, better life. A while back, some folks from Jubilee Reach, a Christian help center started by this church, had a meeting with city and school officials uh, to talk about the after-school coaching program we're doing there that's transforming lives. I mean, grades up, gang activity down, all that. And the meeting was the director of Jubilee Reach, the assistant director, and one of the coaches from the, from the sports program. And this coach has a powerful story of how he used to be in a gang, and then he got shot, and the EMT told him about Jesus in the ambulance on the way to the hospital. Gave his life to Christ, and, and then left the gang, and because he left the gang, he got beat up very badly for it, because that's what happens if you try to leave a gang. And now he coaches and is helping middle schoolers turn their lives around. Well, as the folks from Jubilee headed into the meeting, one of the school officials said to them, remember, no God stuff, no talking God stuff. And that, that's fine. We're, we're there to serve, no strings attached, just show Jesus. But then during the meeting, the city and school officials, you know who they wanted to talk to? Not the director or assistant director, the coach, because he just oozes life out of him. And so he answered all their questions. And then the same official who had said no God stuff said, oh, 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 tell them about the God part of your story in the ambulance. See, that doesn't usually happen. But that's the kind of thing that happens when we follow Jesus. Is that road harder? Oh, you better believe it is harder. He had to leave a gang. But so much life that folks want to hear all about it even when they're not supposed to. And similar things happen at Eastside Academy. And you heard a story earlier how God gets in there and changes lives. And it's just infectious to be around. One reason you really need to go to that auction and support EA. Harder? Yes. Bigger, better, absolutely. And the good news is we do not do this alone. We have a guide, and his name is Jesus, to take us on this narrow road to the bigger place. Years ago, I climbed Mount Whitney with a friend and one of his coworkers, tallest peak in the continental U.S., and for some reason, my friend's coworker just had to constantly tell me all the things I was doing wrong. Wrong shoes, wrong food, wrong everything, and he kept saying, you're going to get altitude sickness. And I was like, okay. First night, we camped at about 12,000 feet. Next morning, they were both flat with altitude sickness. I, however, felt fine, so I went to the top without him. And as I left, I know, compassionate, huh? <laughs> Hope you feel, feel free to succeed. I'll be back, right? Well, as I left, the coworker from his altitude sickness coma said, you're not going to make it. You're going to get lost. You're going to get sick. You're not going to make it. You'll get lost. And I did get lost. But then I met a guy on the trail. He got me back on track. And there's this one section where the path gets really narrow, really narrow, and there's ice on it, and either way is a cliff. And this guy kind of coached me across that narrow path. And then I got to the top, and it was just this great view. I mean, I, 
I think you could see all the way into Nevada. It was just amazing. So then I got back down, and when I got back to our base camp, I popped my head in the tent, and I said, just want you to know, I made it. (laughs) Here's my point, not the sinful part, but here's the Christian point of that. The road that Jesus talks about is narrow. On one side, legalism. On the other, libertinism. Both destroy. And so easy to fall into one or the other. And the culture and the devil are always there to say, you can't do it. You're not going to make it. You can't do it. But Jesus is our guide, and he gets us to that glorious view. And there are two things we do to cooperate. Just two today. We're getting off easy. Two. First, let Jesus be our GPS. Not the culture, not our internal wants and needs. Jesus, chart and compass come from thee. And here's what I mean. In life, career, relationships, we often start by heading in a good direction, don't we? But then we diverge just a little bit. And it doesn't even, maybe just one or two degrees. And it doesn't seem like much at first. Just one or two degrees. But over time, that takes you where you don't want to be. I mean, you see this in marriages a lot. They, get, they start out great, Right? And you don't even notice it happening at first, but just a little bit at a time, you get further and further apart until the guy feels like his wife is cold and the wife feels disconnected, sort of like she's married to Peter Pumpkin Eater from the nursery rhyme. You know, Peter, Peter, Pumpkin Eater had a wife and couldn't keep her, put her in a pumpkin shell, and there he kept her very well. Why do we say these things to our kids? (laughs) Right? Like, that's just weird. I mean, especially at bedtime, right? (laughs) Night kids, mom's going off to be in her pumpkin shell that your creepy dad made for her. And what is a pumpkin eater anyway? Is that like a profession? Uh, but a lot, and imagine that at a cocktail party, right? I'm a pumpkin eater. You go. <laughs> a lot of marriages can feel like folks just in their separate pumpkin shells. And it didn't happen all at once. It was just a little degree of difference in over time, right? Or maybe somehow slowly you ended up in a place of boredom and routine, and you don't know how you got there. Somewhere you vectored, and you just kind of little bit at a time went further away. Or in career, you've ended up where you don't want to be just kind of gradually. See, over time, the smallest divergence takes us where we don't want to go because small things, as it turns out, matter. A couple weeks ago, my youngest asked my wife, what's the difference between a play and a manatee? And my wife thought it was a riddle, and she goes, I don't know, you mean like the sea creature? And Lucy said, yeah, M-A-T-I-N, matinee. (laughs) See, just a couple of letters difference. Small things make a difference. Here's a truth that I don't like to admit. How we do little things is how we do everything. How we do little things is how we do everything. Ouch. You know, and when when we start to diverge even just a little, you know, it's just a little fudge on the expense report. The company can afford it. Well, it's easier to lie elsewhere. It's just a little secret I'll keep from my spouse. It's just a little drink to relax at night, right? And on the broad road, there's so much room to kind of wander around. They start so small, but over time, they take us where we don't want to be. Now, right now, that might be making you think, oh, geez, thanks, Pastor. The small things matter, and oh, great. Now I'm afraid to take any step. I might screw it up. Let me help you. You will. Of course you will. I will. Right? But Jesus is our guide, and he can get us back on track. Lots of ways he uses to do that. Four in particular. Scripture. As we read that or hear it preached, it tells us what the right path is. And then you have to do something. You have to decide, I have to decide, that we're going to take the hard way and do what Scripture says to do. Harder, but we know it leads elsewhere. If spouses actually treat each other the way the Bible says to, that can be harder sometimes. But it leads to a joyful, really good marriage, which as it turns out is actually easier in the long run than a bad marriage. Right? 
When, when folks forgive each other, that can be hard. But you know what? Where it leads is a life without bitterness, which is easier than being embittered. When we help others, it can be hard, but it leads to a life of meaning and purpose. Scripture, but more than Scripture, doing what it says. Second, the Holy Spirit, who nudges us to do certain things and not do others. Community, followers of Jesus, can encourage us, and prayer. Those are the guardrails Jesus uses to narrow the road so we can't wander, can't fall off that cliff. Stick with Jesus, and he will, let him be your GPS. He'll guide you. And then the second way that we cooperate with Jesus is to do little things that lead to bigger things. And I've said this before, there's a difference between trying and training. If I went out to run a marathon today, I couldn't do it no matter how hard I tried. But if I trained for it, I'm pretty sure I could do it. And it's the same spiritually. We don't start living Jesus' bigger life instantly or by trying harder. But we can do spiritual training exercises, little things that reshape our heart to have the heart of Christ. During the Beijing Olympics, Michael Phelps was under a lot of pressure to win all those medals, really high expectations. And during one of the races, his goggles filled with water, and he couldn't see the line on the bottom of the pool or the wall that he was swimming toward. Now, for most swimmers, that's it. Game over, right? But Phelps had done some of his workouts in the dark just for that possibility. And so he counted, and on the 21st stroke, he hit the wall, looked up, saw world record by his name. Let me ask you this. Did that discipline make him constrained or free? See, it's the narrowness of training that gave him the fullness of athletic ability. And it's the same spiritually. Most of us are not going to leave a gang to follow Jesus. It's not the life we're in. But there are a few things we can do to get on that harder road that leads to that bigger life. Maybe it's investing some time reading scripture or praying or fasting. Maybe it's to say to your spouse, you know what? We're drifting apart. It's time we start having a date night so we can connect. Guys, go to men's fraternity. That might be one for you. Jesse Rice and I started this Wednesday, 18 weeks that will help us be better husbands or boyfriends, fathers. We'll talk about career, finding adventure. Hundreds of guys say this has changed their life. And it's open to every age, but the sooner you get it, the better. So young guys, be there. Bring a friend. 6.30 in the morning, 7.30 at night, you pick. Here's another suggestion. It's a little one, but it might shape our hearts a little bit. Every pastor in Seattle area right now is emotionally conflicted. And here's why. Because we love the Seahawks. And we love, that, just thrilled that they are doing so well. I am watching them all the time. But they have an unusually high number of Sunday morning games this season. Just a lot of games on Sunday morning instead of Sunday afternoon. Now, I want to be clear. It is fine to skip church to go watch the Seahawks. That is not a sin. It's fine. I do it myself sometimes, but that's awkward. <laughs> Where's Scotty's watching the game. But because how we do little things is how we do everything. Maybe just one or two of those Sunday morning games. If you stay home to watch it, that's fine. That's great. If you stay home to watch it, but then maybe come home or come back to church at night at six o'clock at our six o'clock service. As a way of saying to yourself, to your kids, to others, hey, I love the Seahawks and I want to root for them. But you know what? I also love Jesus too. That's that, and it matters. This is my value. So I'm going to come back at night at six o'clock. Or for those of you who prefer to DVR the game and then go home and watch it after church, we're going to obey a rule here. On game days, when Seahawks play in the morning, here's the rule, guys. No hawk talk, okay? No updating scores. No, oh, I just, no, that's rude. Don't do that, okay? So watch the Seahawks. I'm going to cheer for the Seahawks. I'm going to come to church as well. I'm going to. Besides, last week when their game conflicted with our 6 o'clock service, what did God do? 
He sent bolts of lightning from heaven. Uh huh. Delayed the game. You know why he did that? So that I could get home before the second quarter was over, which is when all the good stuff happened anyway. Just saying. Go Hawks. There's a successful businessman I know, real hard charger, competitive, much of which is really good, but it also caused him to get a little off course in life over time. He began to try to control everything friends, coworkers, his wife, and the result was just a lot of relational damage, tons of stress. And his wife felt controlled, like she had no identity because he was just so controlling, and she considered leaving him. Well, he went into hyperdrive, gave her long lectures filled with relentless logic about why she should love him. Didn't work. But over a couple of years, as he, years, years, as he let Jesus guide him, his prayer shifted from, Lord, make her love me, to Lord, give me courage to do your will. And he said, I can't control her and I should not be allowed to. And little by little, he got warmer toward her and their marriage got better. And he said, you know what? I'm stronger, but I'm stronger through weakness, which was a hard thing for him to say given the high-powered circles he runs in. Well, one kind of key moment in all of this was a training exercise Jesus used to shape his heart. And while all of this was going on in his marriage, he was running a triathlon. And he needed to finish in the top 10 in order to qualify for the Hawaii triathlon, which is kind of a bucket list goal for him. And he was doing the bike portion, going uphill, and there was a woman named Ruth. And Ruth was a very large person, really struggling to get up this hill. And he just felt nudged by Jesus to just come alongside her, put his hand on her back, asked her name, and he said, Ruth, we're going to make it up this hill. And he just encouraged her all the way up the hill. And as a result, he came in 10th, barely qualified. And his friend gave him a hard time about it. Said, man, you were just one more Ruth away from not qualifying. And this guy said, "Uh uh-uh, I was one Ruth away from not qualifying for what really matters. Now that's a little thing, but Jesus used it as a training exercise that helped him be just a little less of a control freak, a little less into himself. And you may think, well, you know what, he's still qualified, not a big sacrifice. Let me ask you a question. How many of you would find it easy to check your ego at the door for a bucketless goal of yours? Especially with your buddy giving you a hard time. I think it took guts for him to say no to his high-powered friend, know what, this is more important. Plus, he told me it was the most fun he'd ever had at a triathlon because of Ruth. He said, it wasn't just about me. I used my strength to help someone else. Isn't that what a man is supposed to do? And it helped shift his heart, which helped heal his marriage. He got a better marriage. He got a really cool day at a triathlon. Life just a little bigger. So where have you gotten even just a little off course? Where are you taking the easy way? Ask Jesus to be your GPS and guide you. Think of some training exercises you might be able to do with him. Maybe for you, it's just to decide, you know what? I am going to take that harder way because it leads to a bigger place. The same way Jesus took when he went to the cross and died for our sins. But where did it, where did it go? It turned into a resurrection three days later and a worldwide movement that started small but has been expanding ever since. In a graveyard in England, there's a tombstone. It has an inscription that says, Remember, friend, when passing by, as you are now, so once was I. As I am now, soon you will be. Prepare for death and follow me. Cheery. (laughs) Chipper, right? 
So someone underneath the tombstone wrote a snarky comment underneath, to follow you, I'm not content until I know which way you went. (laughs) Wisdom. Jesus says two roads, the broad way that leads to a very narrow life, or my way, which can be harder, but leads to a very big life that starts now and lasts forever in heaven. Two roads, balls in your court. You pick. So Jesus asks that you help us choose that hard way, even when we don't want to, and everything in us rebels, trusting you that you lead us through that narrow path to a wonderful view, a big life, life as you meant it to be lived. We can't do it without your power, Jesus, so please help us in your name. Amen.